Take your copy of God's Word and open it with me to the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to pause our study of the Gospel of John for a couple of weeks. And in John, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 15, we're going to begin in a moment in verse 21. John 15, verses 21 through 28. While you're turning there, there are a lot of things that you can rent. Maybe you live in a home that you are renting. Of course, you can rent a car. You can rent furniture. You can even rent appliances. There's something else that you can rent, however, that you may not have thought of. There's a woman who lives in Brooklyn, New York, named Nina Keneally, and she came up with a rather strange business idea. It's called Need a Mom. And she offers, for the low, low price of $40 an hour, to be a substitute mother and offer some of the services that a mother would oftentimes provide. You may not be able to read the text at the top, but it says, when you need a mom, just not your mom. Among the services she offers as a substitute mom, she will lend you a listening ear. She will offer you advice. She says she will bake you a homemade pie. She offers to go through your wardrobe and tell you what to wear and what not to wear. But don't worry, if you look on her website, she promises that there are certain things that she will not do. She says she will not question your lifestyle choices. She promises not to be judgmental. She says she will not compare you to your siblings. She will not keep you on the phone for 45 minutes, and she will not ask you to take a selfie with her. Well, I share this with you because contrary to what Miss McNeely thinks, there is no such thing as replacing mom. Abraham Lincoln once said, no man is poor who has a godly mother. And that is so true. There is a role there, a God-given role that is so essential in our society. I truly believe that there is something that is very powerful about a mother's faith when a mother fervently prayers for her children it carries weight with God when a mother sacrifices for the sake of her children God sees it God will honor it in our scripture this morning we're going to see an encounter that Jesus had with such a mother the Bible tells us he went to the region of Tyre and Sidon and he went there really so he could physically rest and so he could have some time alone with his disciples. But when he arrived there, that's when he had this encounter with a mother. And we're going to see what caused this mother to stand out amidst so many was her great faith. She had a faith from which we can all learn, a faith that we should all imitate. And you don't have to be a mother for this to apply to you. The Bible says in Hebrews eleven six, 6, without faith, it is impossible to please him. Would to God we all had this kind of faith. But there are three things about this particular mother's faith that I want you to see in our passage this morning. She had a great faith. Because, first of all, she based her faith on Jesus' character. She based her faith on Jesus' character. Look at verse 21. 
Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. Now, in Mark's account of this story, he says that Jesus went to Tyre and Sidon because he did not want to be found. He wanted his whereabouts to be kept a secret. This is one of those cases where his father had other plans. Now, there's a saying that maybe you've heard, perfume betrays itself. In other words, you put on enough perfume or enough cologne, you're going to be found anywhere. Well, here is Jesus. He is adorned with the aroma of holiness. He's adorned with the aroma of love and grace. And he carries that aroma with him everywhere he goes. He goes to Tyre and Sidon. And even though he wanted some alone time, it didn't take long for this mother to find him out. And this mother was really the last person that many of the Jews in the first century would have expected to be hanging around Jesus because in that society, she had three strikes against her. First of all, the fact that she was a woman meant that many looked down upon her. The fact that she was a Canaanite woman, that means she was a Gentile. Mark's gospel number three tells us she was from that region of Syrophoenicia, which means either she was or she had been at some point a pagan Canaanite woman. Did you know that in all of the Bible, there's only one other woman that we know of that is mentioned who comes from that area, and her name was Jezebel. The people of Tyre and Sidon, they had a false goddess they worshipped named Astarte. Maybe this woman was fine worshipping that goddess as long as things were going well in her life. But when problems came, she quickly discovered that her idols and their false goddess could not help her. And what drove her to the cliff of desperation was her daughter. She said, that her daughter was severely demon-possessed. We don't know the details. We don't know how this came about. But maybe in some way you can relate to what this mother was going through. Maybe you have a son or a daughter who fell into a trap, a trap of addiction or a trap of depression or a trap of self-destruction. Maybe it's just an ungodly lifestyle, but whatever it is, it has a grip on them, and they can't seem to get out. Well, fortunately, this daughter had one thing going for her. She had a mother who brought her case to Jesus and placed her faith in Christ. You know, there are a lot of people in this world today who have faith in faith, if you know what I mean. In other words, they talk about a generic kind of faith. They say, well, you know, it doesn't really matter in whom or in what you have faith as long as you have faith in someone or something, but not so. Faith is only as good as its object. You can have faith in a backpack, but if you jump out of an airplane and there's no parachute in it, in spite of all the faith you have in it, you are going to die. 
You can have faith in a two-legged stool all you want. If you put your weight upon it, you are going to fall. Faith must be in the right object. This woman placed her faith in Christ. There are four things about her faith that we know that are explicitly mentioned in verse 22. For example, she believed in Jesus' mercy. She believed that he was merciful. It's interesting that she asked for mercy, not for her daughter, but for herself. She said, have mercy on me. She was pleading for mercy for herself because as the mother, she was carrying that daughter's burden upon herself, and she could feel that pain, and she would have gladly traded places with her daughter if only she could She cried out for mercy, which by definition means that which we do not deserve. She understood that she did not deserve anything from Jesus, so she didn't come to him making demands. She came to him pleading and believing that he is good and that he is merciful. She came to Jesus also believing that he is Lord, that he is Lord. It says in verse 22 that she called him Lord, a title that she repeats two more times in this passage. We should not just look at that word and skip over it, assuming that, well, she didn't really know what she was talking about. She may not have understood all of the ramifications of the lordship of Christ, but she did understand some things. I think it's pretty clear that she understood that coming to Jesus as Lord meant coming to him as king and as ruler of her life. She's coming to Jesus and she's turning her back on the idols she's been taught to revere. She's leaving her pagan traditions and religion behind. She's not coming to Jesus to put him on a shelf along with anyone else. She understood that Jesus is not one among many. He is the one and only. She believed that he is Lord. She also believed that Jesus is Messiah. Isn't it interesting that this woman of all people would call Jesus son of David, even though she was Gentile and a Canaanite and at one point a pagan, even she knew about the prophecy Even she knew that God had said that one day he would send a Savior into the world, that he would send the Messiah, the one who would come to save us, and that the Savior, he would be of the line of David, a descendant of David. So when she came to Jesus and called him son of David, she was acknowledging him to be the Messiah, the Savior that God promised to send into the world. She also believed that Jesus has authority. She came to Jesus believing that he had authority over the devil and that he had authority over demons and that Every demon must obey his command and that they can do no other. Now you put all of this together. Here was a once pagan Gentile woman. She put her faith in a Jesus she believed to be merciful, to be in control, the Messiah, the Savior, the promised one. 
the one who has authority over our lives. And yes, there are many things about Jesus she simply did not know, but she had these truths, and she clung to these truths. And this applies to every one of us here, but since it is Mother's Day, let me just apply this specifically to you mothers. When and if your children stray, when and if they struggle, when and if they are in a trap, whether they're trapped by the devil, by this world, by sin, what do you do? You cling to these truths. You cling to these realities, believing that we have a God who really is good. He really is merciful. He is Lord of all. He does what he says he will do, and he has authority not only over your life, but he has authority over your children's lives as well, and therefore you can trust him. This woman had such a great faith. Part of what made her faith great, uh, her faith great is the fact that she based it on Jesus' character. But then something else that she did, she continued to have faith when Jesus was silent. She continued to have faith when Jesus was silent. Look at verse 23. But he answered her not a word. Let me pause right there and let's really think hard about that statement. He answered her not a word. She came to Jesus humbly. She came desperate. She came pleading. Her request was honorable. In fact, we know that what she was praying was, in fact, God's will. And yet the Bible tells us that in spite of all of that that she did right initially, Jesus did not speak a single word in response. Now listen to me carefully. All of us here will spend some time in our lives in verse 23. We will spend some time. You'll find yourself at that place in life when you have a need, you have a crisis, you get desperate, you cry out to God in faith according to his word, and as far as you know, there's no sin in your life that you need to confess, and yet in spite of all of that, nothing. In spite of all of that, silence. I don't know about you, but this for me is the hardest response to accept. If I pray and, and God gives me a clear yes, if I pray and God gives me a clear no, praise the Lord. But when you pray and you wait and you seem to have no response at all, isn't that the hardest response to accept? And maybe that's some of you right now. And if so, I just want to remind you of something. If you find yourself right now living in verse 23, can I just remind you that verse 23 is not the end of the story? You may be in verse 23, but let me tell you, verse 28 is right around the corner. Go back to that 23rd verse. Let's look at the rest of it. But he answered her not a word and his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. 
Oh, isn't that a godly response? To the disciples, this woman was just a nuisance, nothing more. Now, folks, when God places a needy person in our lives, we had better see that as an opportunity and not an inconvenience. An opportunity to serve and not an inconvenience to be avoided. The disciples looked at this woman and they just wanted her to go away. They said, hey, you're ruining our vacation. We came here to get away from people like you. And yet, here you are. Look at verse 24. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, this woman was a Gentile, so Jesus responded and said, I came to the house of Israel. Now, the million-dollar question is, why did Jesus say that? First of all, it is true that when Jesus came, his priority was to preach and teach and minister to the Jews, and he did so in fulfillment of the promise that God had made to Abraham years before when God told Abraham that one day he would turn him into a great nation and through him all nations would be blessed. Paul said it this way in Romans 1.16. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. But then he said, to the Jew first, and also the Greek. To the Jew first, and also the Greek. And so the gospel came to the Jews so that it might go out through the Jews. This is why Jesus never turned anyone away, regardless of their culture or their ethnicity, when they came to him in faith. Now, I personally believe that Jesus responded this way because he was testing her. Look at how she responded in verse 25. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. Now we're told in verse 22, she cried to the Lord. The verb tense means that she cried continually to the Lord. We don't know how long she cried. We don't know how often she cried. All we know is that she cried for so long and so often, the disciples decided they could not stand it anymore. But finally, after a time of, of silence from Jesus, she cried out to him, again. And I want you to notice it's a three-word prayer. A three-word prayer. Lord, help me. You know what would be a very interesting Bible study? We don't have time for this this morning, but if you were to go through the Bible and look at all of the amazing and powerful prayers that God answered and how many of them were so short, you will notice that many times the prayers, we see God moving mountains to answer. Sometimes they were two words or three words or four words. A prayer doesn't have to be long in order for it to be powerful or in order for God to answer it. But this woman came to him with a short prayer. The Bible says she worshipped Jesus. What do you do, folks, when God seems distant? What do you do when God is silent? 
That's not when you retreat from worship. That's when you run to Him in worship. And you keep pursuing God. And you keep praying until the mountains move in your behalf. If Jesus had responded to her the very first time she called upon him, if Jesus had not waited, if he had not tested her, then we would never have this great example of faith to be able to learn from it. Her faith was great because she based it on Jesus' character, and then she kept on having faith even when Jesus was silent One more thing I want you to notice in this passage. She held on to faith until she obtained the victory. She held on to faith until she obtained the victory. Look at verse 26. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Some people read this verse and are so confused by Jesus' answer. This is considered one of the most shocking and controversial things that Jesus ever said. Now, as I see it, there are three ways you can deal with this verse and this statement, two of which are acceptable and one of which is not. There are some people, there are skeptics who love to jump on this verse and say, see, Jesus didn't care about women. Jesus didn't care about Canaanites. He didn't care uh, about pagans. He didn't care about Gentiles. Well, we know that's not true. You could read this and say, just like verse 24, Jesus is testing her. And that is certainly a possibility. But can I tell you what I believe is happening here I believe Jesus is voicing out loud what he knew his disciples were thinking. Because sometimes we harbor inside of ourselves these biases and these prejudices that are so despicable, but we cannot see how ugly they are until they're out in the open. You see, the Jews were always referring to the Gentiles as Dogs, and let's be honest, these particular disciples were treating her like a dog when they told Jesus to make her go away. So Jesus basically says, all right, let's just get this out in the open. Let me say what all of you guys are thinking. And here's her response in verse 27. And she said, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Notice what she did not say. She didn't say, so much for that loving God they talk about. So much for Jesus' compassion. I don't want anything to do with him anymore. No. She decided to play along. She understood what Jesus was doing here. He was using a parable. And he was not speaking over her head 
She understood what Jesus was saying. She knew exactly which character she was in all of this. He wasn't talking about uh, uh, literal uh, children and literal bread and literal dogs. She understood that the children represented Israel and that the bread represented the life that Jesus gives and that the dogs represented the Gentile. And so she says to Jesus, I'll play along in this parable. I'll play my part. I understand. You don't throw the bread to the dogs, but you know what, Jesus? Even the dogs are allowed to eat the crumbs that fall from the table. And I believe that just the crumbs of your mercy and grace are all that my daughter needs. I believe that just the crumbs of your power are enough to heal her What a high view of Jesus this woman has, and what a low and humble view of herself she has. And what a beautiful picture of the gospel. We are like, we are all like those dogs under the table. We don't have any rights, and we acknowledge we don't deserve a place at the table, but by faith we believe that there is more than enough on the table. There's more than enough mercy and grace. There's more than enough forgiveness. There is more than enough life. And so just like this mother, we believe in him as all of these things. We believe that he's the Savior who was born and lived a perfect life and died on the cross for our sins and rose again on the third day. And just like her, we call upon him. And what does Jesus do? He lifts us up and we're no longer dogs. Now we are children. We're no longer under the table. Now we have a place at the table. And here's Jesus's response to her in verse 28. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, here it is, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Jesus saw her faith. He healed her daughter It wasn't progressive. It wasn't a process. It was instant, and it was complete. But let me just ask you this question. Whose faith prevailed for that girl? Whose faith did God honor? Was it the daughter's? Oh, no. Nowhere does the Scripture tell us that this daughter had any faith. No, it was the faith of her mother. God saw the mother's faith, and he honored her faith then just like he'll honor a mother's faith today. You know, there's something very special about verse 28 that I want to point out to you before I close, something I don't want you to miss. If you read through the Bible, you will notice that the Word of God describes faith in a lot of different ways, a lot of different types of faith. For example, the Bible talks about weak faith, Strong faith, rich faith, abiding faith, steadfast faith, dead faith, working faith, obedient faith, and many others. But did you know there are only two times in all of the Gospels where Jesus saw someone and said that they had great faith? And did you know that both times when Jesus made that statement, he was talking about a Gentile? You read that story in Luke chapter 7 
when the centurion had a servant who was sick. And so he sent for Jesus, but as Jesus is coming, he sent a messenger and said, oh, Jesus, I'm not worthy for you to even come into my home, but I believe you're a man of authority. And so if you'll just say the word wherever you are, I know that my servant will be healed. And you remember what Jesus said? He said, I've never seen such great faith, not in all of Israel. And now for a second time, Jesus sees someone. He sees this mother, and he says, she has great faith. She didn't have a religious education. She didn't have all of the privileges that the house of Israel enjoyed. But yes, she had great faith. And let me just say to you, mothers, your picture may never grace the cover of a parenting magazine. And maybe no one else will see or recognize your efforts or your sacrifices outside of your immediate family. Maybe you're a new believer. Maybe you don't have a lot of Bible knowledge. Maybe you're not the most gifted or skilled mom in the world. But let me tell you something that every mother can have and every person can have. Wherever you are in your spiritual walk, you can have great faith. And moms, you can teach your children to have great faith and to place their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of their lives. And at the end of the day, that's what matters to God, and that's what matters for eternity. Would you take a moment and pray with me? Our God, we thank you for this great example of faith. And we confess that many times we have failed to emulate such faith in our own lives. We have failed to trust you as we should. So would you help us, Lord, to take this example and to seize it and to imitate it and to take these lessons and apply them to our lives today. And Heavenly Father, we pray for those who perhaps need to take that very first step of faith by placing their faith in Christ as Savior and Lord. And we pray for them that this really would be their day of salvation. If there's but one here today who needs to take that step, we pray this would be it. This would be the day that they call upon Jesus, just like this woman did in Matthew 15, calling upon him as Lord, placing their faith in him. Have your way, O oh God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.